Hey everybody, welcome to the Something Pretty Podcast, your favorite podcast about HBO's Deadwood. And here we are, Clay. We're going to have to attend the recording of this podcast, Badgeless, lest we put a damper on the stupidities. <laughs> Always Badgeless. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was... <laughs> so, sometimes I feel like you can see Milch coming through talking about the show in interesting ways, and I feel like that might have been one of them. <laughs> <laughs> or it's when Jerry does his impression of a bird, like vomiting that into the baby bird. That was very strange, yes. <laughs> I would not go anywhere with the person who did that to me. Yeah, yeah. Jerry's a uh, Tobolowski. How do you say that guy's name? His dad actually was like Tobolowski. Uh, Is it Tobolowski? I can't. Yeah, something like that. I think it's Tobolowski. Yeah, he's... um. He's a good. He's a he's a good one of those those guys in acting. But I think oh, that his so Jerry good. is a really interesting character. You don't see a lot of him, but you get a lot of sense of what he is. He has he has a lot of great scenes. The scene where he um, the, I don't know if you'd say great, but like iconic. He does the the bird scene in this one. He had that great um, scene in last season when he's talking to Al and he's like, "You can sign. I will not say another word. This is my last word. Yes. I'm not going to say another <laughs> word after this one." So a lot of good stuff coming from Mr. Jerry, who I think this is the first time we've seen him in the third season. I don't I, yeah. the characters react in that way. I, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, as far I, as far as I remember, this is the last the, the first time. Yeah, I don't yeah. see why he would have. He kind of skipped town with everybody at the end of last season. I yeah. think. Yep. Yes. Now, now he's now he's back delivering votes, and we're going to get into all of the nuts and bolts of Amateur Night which is the latest episode of Deadwood. There's only three left after this one, and then the series is done. So this is Amateur Night, which we are going to break down right after we play the music. You're listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon. Join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood and tell you something pretty. This is called Amateur Night. It's episode nine of the third season of Deadwood, directed by Adam Davidson, written by Nick Town and Joss Whedon's little brother, Zach Whedon. Is and, that true? Yes. Yeah. Really? Yeah. He was Milch's writer's assistant for the first two seasons, and then it became kind of a staff writer in the third season. Interesting, because I know there's a Jed. Yes, the other brother is Jed. Jed, Joss, and Zach. Yeah, I don't see, I, I feel like I don't see Zach's name much anymore no he's much younger than jo- joss whedon he's like 16 years younger i think oh really the mdb okay. yeah uh in this one amateur night hearst's pistoleros gallop down the thoroughfare having arrived in deadwood overnight hearst orders his man barrett to beat merrick that i authored his discomfort discomfiture should come clear only as events accumulate trixie suspects that alma is clean commissioner jerry returns from yankton Barrett pistol whips Merrick in the Pioneer office. Langriche organizes an amateur night at the Chez Amis, soon to become the Deadwood Theater. Wu struggles to communicate that he has 150 Chinese in Custer City. Swearingen deduces that Hearst was behind Merrick's beating. Odell has been found dead. Jane, Martha, and Joni escort the children to the new schoolhouse. Jerry details the number of soldiers' votes that Hearst has purchased. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me. As Amateur Night unfolds elsewhere in Deadwood, Swearingen stands at the Gems Bar and softly sings The Unfortunate Rake. So, here we are, <coughs> getting through colds, getting through life, and we're going to talk about Amateur Night is now. That, that's called The Unfortunate Rake? That's what that song is called, yeah. Oh, I thought it was The Streets of Laredo. Uh, your your academic background of Irish folklore is uh, coming out uh, coming out strong in this one. Is that the uh, 
recognizable one that you confused with something else. The lyrics are, seem very specific. I, well, you keep talking. I'll look it up. I could have sworn maybe it's one of those <coughs> things where it was. Uh, the unfortunate you know, rake has uh, been uh, turned into various variations. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe that's what it is. Let me look it up while you keep talking. Sure. So this is Amateur Night, which is um, kind of a second parter of the first part, which happened before this with Leviathan Smiles, mostly because the Earps uh, have their goodbye in this episode. Um, although it doesn't, it, it's it, it's a episode that feels there's a little bit of a ending to that one it's a little bit of reminiscent of the boy the earth talks to episode in last season which was the wedding episode because they have a celebration in this one too mm-hmm. um, i kept waiting for someone to die <laughs> and during the uh, uh, the amateur night yeah they did a great job of, of doing the uh the usual um deadwood everybody's having a great time but we're gonna have four other scenes happening with really kind of <laughs> Tense things going on, right? Waiting for one of them to to snap, but luckily for uh, for everybody in the show, um, everybody makes it out alive. Yeah. Um, Streets of Laredo is derived from the song "The Unfortunate Rake." Yeah. So it's uh, which makes sense. It, it makes more sense that he would be singing an old Irish song than a uh, uh, a Western song written uh, in the eighteen hundreds. Does that one? Does that one still capture? Texas. Does that one still have the? Um is the plot the same that a guy is dying because he got like a venereal disease from a prostitute? Is it the same point of the song? Uh, I don't think it's. Uh, I, guess it's I don't think it's a venereal disease. I think it's about a cowboy who's just been killed. <coughs> oh, okay. Because it's. Uh, right. But the thing that tipped me off was um, there's the verse that's uh, similar in. Laredo's uh, get six jolly cowboys to carry my coffin, get six pretty maidens to bear up my pall. Yes. Put bunches of roses all over my coffin, roses to deaden the clods as they fall. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Al's uh Al's a big Al's a Al doesn't perform at Amateur Night, but he has his own solo performance in the uh the sets of the gem. Uh one of my one of just to get into it, what a sort of a tangential thing is is when I love the scene when uh, Jack is sitting with Hurst and they're having breakfast and Hurst like vaguely threatens him about his relationship with Al mm-hmm. only to have Langriche. Uh He produces a knife and sort of twirls it around and says, ah, my ham. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the pillars of my existence who should know each other. Mr. John Langriche, my dear Aunt Lou Marchbanks. With whose art I am most appreciatively familiar. Uh, Mr. Langrish is now to my back, ain't Lou, what you have long been to my belly. And I may say that so long as the noddles are quiet, that girth at the midriff preached as sin by so many among the guardians of sacral well-being is absolved as a danger by me. I've been heavy all my life. I refer not at all to you, dear lady. Salty juice of ham this morning. I must have it. Usual for me, ain't Lou. Sit, 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 sit. Must I do so four times? <laughs> ah, my closest confidant in the camp is Aunt Lou, and I say that with every awareness. Wonderful. I guess I must have went invisible overnight. I saw you, drummer. And yet you cut in front of me. <laughs> I just knew you wouldn't be eating. 
Did I not see the gentleman who is still upright arrive in the camp last night? I believe I may have as well. I was on the porch of this structure and you with Mr. Swearingen on his balcony. I believe he came in on horseback. Not as a pedestrian, ironically, given his heavy-footed virtuosity. What did Mr. Swearingen make of the coming into camp of that man among his friends? Do allow me, Mr. Hurst, as your corporal comforts advocate in this regard to be neutral. Let me show in your company on the subject of Al no less rigorous a reticence than I exhibit with Al when addressing the subject of you. Ah! My ham. Yeah, man. Brian Cox really, um, really, really making me come around on that character in this episode. Yeah. Top, yeah. top to bottom. I was like, all right. I, I don't know if everything up to this was worth it, but this... This is a great, great episode for him. The hammiest, the hammiest character and actor, which he's kind of talking about in that one because he has a lot of lines in this one about how like his his verbosity like exceeds his his uh, competency or whatever he says in it. But yeah, he's um, the hammiest actor uh, or the hammiest performance uh, requires a big slice of ham from Jack Langridge at the start of this one. So, what'd you think of Amateur Night? And we can go. Anywhere you want to go, I guess. I guess a good place to start would be the Earps, because uh, this is the the conclusion of their story. So, if you want to give general thoughts, or you just want to start with the Earps, we can go either way. Uh, general, I really liked it. I liked this episode a lot. Um, I I I find that I really enjoy the ones that end with the whole town sort of having a good time. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's it really kind of accents the the hangout nature of the show. Um. And it had something for everybody to do, and I thought uh, it was all of all of the scenes. I thought were had a lot going on in them. Uh, there was one that stood out to me that I was like, I don't even understand the scene, which was um, <clears throat> Joni and Charlie talking about the tree in the in the building. Yeah, in the school, and that. Yeah, I was like, what the fuck was that? And then I thought about it, and I was like, oh, that's actually kind of like summing up the entire show here, Yeah, actually. Yeah, it's, it's um, a meta- it's, it, to be redu- uh, reductive, it's a metaphor, yeah. Right, yeah, it's it's one of those things, it, it kind of shows, it's, it's, an, it's an example of how well the show is written, because watching that scene, I, I, like I said, I, I was like, I don't even know what the hell they're talking, this doesn't seem to, there was no point to the scene, like it was just, Joni kind of being weird and Charlie not understanding why she was being weird. Yeah. Talking about I, the, how the tree grows through the school and they don't know the origin story of it. Like the guy that they bought it from couldn't explain why it's yeah. there. So they're, they're looking at this thing that they don't really understand why anyone built the building around the tree and they're discussing it. Yeah. And she, and she, it's like, I, it's almost like, do, did they know they were getting canceled? No. Okay. Cause it, it feels like they do. Because um, the, her line where she says something to the effect of, well, I have to know what happened to the guy who built the tree right. or built the house. And yeah. then Charlie says, it's not, it doesn't matter about what happened to that guy. It's about, about, why, they, it's about why they built the, tree, the house around the tree. Yeah. Like that, that, that stuff felt like they were saying, it, it felt like in that moment it was Joni was a, a, a television viewer. And Charlie was David Milch talking right. about the show. Yeah, yeah. So I, I that scene went from <clears throat> the one that I didn't understand why it was in the in the episode to maybe one of my favorite scenes in the episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the Earps, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, I don't know what to think of the Earps. Uh, 
it, they feel even weirder now that they are out so quickly. If they are out, they are. Um, they're gone. Uh, yeah, they're they're done. Yeah, it fe- it feels very strange to to just kind of dip them in the way that they did, uh, and then kind of and then pull them out. Um, but again, I think this might be my modern TV brain processing this stuff. Yeah. Because um, I really like the scene where uh, Morgan shoots the guy and then uh, Seth sort of probably knowingly helps cover it up. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought that stuff was really good, but I, I just in, in Morgan overall. Had, Morgan had a real turnaround between the episodes, I feel. He, he, oh, he, yeah. He started off as a real scumbag, and this and, and this one he sort of acts as the uh, – he does the thing that Deadwood does, which is that like he causes a problem, which is very um, r- like a relief for the audience when he shoots that Pinkerton. But then you you realize that problems are gonna are gonna come more heavily from the thing that he just did that you kind of enjoyed watching. Right. Yeah. And uh, I I did enjoy watching it, but it was it, it did make me wonder. It makes the Earp stuff stand out even more to me as being a, a weird late late season flex or not flex isn't the right word but tossing those two guys in just to get rid of them as quickly yeah i think um this watch through i i think that i can pretty easily point at the erps as the worst like subplot or plot that the show did i think um Mm -hmm. even compared to like the ones that we talked about before like miss isernhausen in season two and you could even say like Kristen Bell and her brother in the first season. Um, the Odell storyline, which is kind of short. You could say that the theater troupe and things like that. I think that the Earps kind of stick out because it's clear. They clearly came in hinting at things that were going to be different. And then they just kind of jettisoned them when they, yeah. when they didn't have anything to do. Like the, the thing that's weird about watching it now is that in the first episode, they Wyatt and his brother are whispering about this secret plan that they have that they never talk about what right. it's going to be. And the, apparently there is no plan by the end of it because if if their plan was what they did, which is that they worked that timber yard, why were they whispering about it with each other? Like the, right. there's this implication yeah. that something sinister is happening. And the second episode is a big turnaround from that and that nothing ever comes of it. And I think a, like yeah. a, a bigger problem with them is that uh, one of the reviews I was reading, like at least the, you know, if, if you're not crazy about the Kristen Bell and her brother storyline, <clears throat> what that one did is that one shows a big difference between how I, uh, how Al and Cy operate and how they treated mm-hmm. the siblings at the time. Yeah. And they don't even really interact with the Earps at all. And it's like no one interacts with them, really. They're, they're just kind of right. there. Bullock does a little bit, but they, they don't highlight anything about any of the characters or anything about the show. And then they just leave after being essentially reduced to a plot device to get the Pinkertons annoyed. That That's really what they came to do, and that's what they do, and then they, the show quickly gets rid of them. Who produced the weapon first? Say they come out at the same time. We drew as one. That's a fucking lie. Wait a second. Shut up. Are you as sure about your Timberlease? What do you mean? As that this is truthful. Are you as sure that lease ain't worth fuck all? Absolutely fucking certain. And nothing holds you here. 
and arguing against you, Stan, is who this fuckhead works for and the man you shot in the fair fight. Best you move on, taking your genius brother with you. Um, I ain't showed myself to advantage here, Sheriff. I'm fully fucking aware. Yeah, I, I think they could have been an interesting addition to the show if they had brought them in earlier in the season. Yeah. Because, yeah, as we were talking about a bit last episode, I think the most inter- interesting thing about them is that they are kind of the uh, the mirror of Seth and Saul to a certain extent mm-hmm. in a way that those two characters don't really have a mirror where everybody else kind of does. <clears throat> and to see, to, to put... Wyatt and and Morgan in play earlier in the season uh, so you can spend a little bit more time seeing how they uh, interact with everybody and and what how they play off of Seth a bit more I think that that could have been a a good addition but it feels yeah it feels really strange to, to just drop him in and pull him out like that just for the sake of having Morgan shoot a guy in the leg yeah yeah, it's a it's a name that you don't really need to introduce in order to accomplish the same yeah. goal with them. I at least, at least they didn't do the thing they would do now, where uh, where Seth would be like, "I I highly recommend you leave town," and then Wyatt goes, "Yeah, I think that's the right thing to do." We've been meaning to head down south to this place called Tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> they don't do that. They they have the good sense. They have a hundred percent. They do that now. They would 100%. do that now. Yeah, that is a hundred. That is um. That's how you do a prequel or whatever you want to do when you spin off Deadwood. I got a friend of mine down there. He's a doctor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Maybe we'll take a holiday in yeah. Tombstone. Yeah. They, did I did I ever tell you what? If we're gonna be doing westerns in between this yep. and, uh, and the, the movie, movie, one of them that might be interesting to do is um. My Darling Clementine, the John Ford uh, movie about uh, Wyatt Earp, yep. where it has the the strangest interpretation of Doc Holliday I have ever seen. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if maybe I'm just, it's it's I'm too used to Val Kilmer and having a better sort of historical understanding of that character. Yep. But the, the Doc Holliday in My Darling Clementine, he's an actual doctor. He's a dentist. Yes. In uh, he wasn't actually a dentist. I don't think. No, I, I don't I, think so. As far no. as I know, he, no. and and it, it's I, I can't remember everything about it, but I remember watching that after seeing Tombstone and knowing more about Doc Holliday as a character. Going like, this is a, this is a weird left turn they took here. It is kind of <clears> the era where, like, if you look at the biographies, that everyone did like a billion jobs back then. They were like, he yeah, was a lawyer, yeah. farmhand, blah 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 blah. So maybe he was a dentist for a couple. They weeks. they play him. I remember they they talk about his job, or maybe he wasn't. Maybe in real life he was a dentist. I think that that might actually be what it was. He was a real in real life he was a dentist, but in this movie he was like a doctor, doctor. Yep, cardiologist or something. Uh, yeah, he's a cardiologist. <laughs> but I was I was actually just thinking we could also do. Uh, uh, I think it's gunfight at the OK Corral with Burt Lancaster, which has. Um, Oh, fuck. Uh, Bones. Oh, uh, DeForest Kelly. Yes, DeForest Kelly plays one of the Art Brothers. I think he plays Morgan. Oh, nice. Interesting. 
Not, not to, not to, not say no. Are, are there any other westerns, famous westerns, that actually take place in Deadwood at the time? I'm just, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't know westerns think well enough. So, not that I know of. Uh, Deadwood was. I had never heard of Deadwood until the show. Yeah. Um, Something we can look into and see if there is yeah. one out there. That, that would be kind of interesting. There's like some, there's like some filmed version of the TV show or something. It was like a made-for-TV movie. I, I would, I would be down for watching something horrible like that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the Earps, the Earps check out. And if you guys are interested in checking our coverage of the Earps out, you can go to patreoncom slash the Pensky nice There's a whole bunch of nice. Tombstone coverage there. We talked about the the Kurt Russell movie, so check that out. Um, great, great movie. My one of my one of my other. This is kind of all over the place just because they have random quotes. I I I, <clears throat> I like this episode I, quite a bit. I I like the. Sorry, before we get into that, go. I did a very quick uh, search. There's a movie called Deadwood '76. Okay, which uh, like apostrophe '76? I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. Which, based on this little clip, does not look great. Uh, there's Bad Man of Deadwood, which looks like a much older movie, possibly a silent movie. Uh, and then there is Once Upon a Time in Deadwood, huh? From 2019. Okay, <clears throat> and that. That's not the I'm original just, name of the movie, right? The movie came out in 2019, I think. Uh, this looks like it has... Something else? Is this fake? I don't know what this is. It looks like... <laughs> we'll, we'll do research into, into what these... I'm sorry. I got, I got really confused because I thought I saw Charles Bronson, but there's no way he's in this movie because this movie looks like it was shot two years ago, which yep. it seems to have been. Hmm. So anyway... We'll find For another it. time. I think it's a guy that looks just like Charles Bronson. <laughs> <laughs> In a town that looks just like Deadwood. Hello! As we have in Chicago, Denver, and San Francisco, the Langrish Troop bids welcome to the Deadwood Camp. Nights to come will find us on the stage within. Our enactments may bring an odd tear to the eye and may be relied upon to produce guffaws and howls of laughter. This evening, however, in memoriam of a passing colleague whose jocund spirit hovers over our gay fiesta, I will give you his favorite epithet. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. Tonight, we will be the audience to you. I, uh, I, like, the, I like this one, too, just because it has the, um, the town aspect to it of the, the amateur night thing, which the episode spends probably 20 minutes dealing with in a, in yeah. a way that is not... It does nothing except develop the town, but I do think it's a nice thing. It's part of the thing that I like about Deadwood, and I think that the AV Club review had just said that, like, it's really kind of rare to have a TV show that feels like it actually exists in a universe of itself. Um, yeah. And you were saying the, the modern uh, take on the Earps would have the show have a little pun about what he's going to do and then a wink at the audience as the camera, as his character turns his back to the camera and walks out. This is really unique in that I think the only semi-regular who performs is Richardson, right? And I think yeah. in, a, in, a, in another show... Saul Star would be up there, I don't know, like arm wrestling or something, you know, like, the, <laughs> like you'd, 
none of the main characters directly contribute to the amateur night. They're all in the background and they get shots of like cutaways to them as they're reacting to the stuff that's going on. Yeah. But no one, no one's actually involved in it. And it really speaks to, you know, what the point of it is, is that it's the town's, as the town is doing its things like developing the school and stuff like that and becoming more of a, you know, close-knit society and a, a town and something that feels more like a family, they have this amateur night where everyone kind of gets to celebrate and dance around while Hearst is up on his balcony, like, glaring down like the... um the Grinch after the, he stole all the gifts from the Who's and he goes down <laughs> and he sees all the Who's singing and he doesn't understand why they're still happy. Um, that's kind of what the po- whole point of this episode is supposed to be. And I, I think it's a nice touch that they they don't have the main cast do it. Instead, it's just sort of like it's an event for like all the extras who have been standing around all season get the chance to yeah. come on and do something for the camera for a little bit. I, I find it charming. It's pretty cute. I was expecting the modern TV thing too where they have, you know... Agnes Girardi get up there and sing fucking Pat Benatar right. for yes. some reason. Yeah, you know, like I, I was expecting, <laughs> I was expect like that's that's what you do now, right? You have Trixie or someone like, uh, or maybe Alma get up there and 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 sing a song, and everybody is just like, Spellbound. oh my god, it's yeah. so amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely what they would do now. It's it's a smart choice not to do it. It's just a. Yeah. It's about the town. It brings too much. It brings too much focus, like attention to to how um, artificial it is when you do that shit. Yes. Whereas, whereas the way that they play it out here, I think it's it, it feels a lot more um, natural, and also because the stuff they all do is is really dumb. Yes, I like the the giant guy who has the sledgehammer that he slowly lowers. Yeah, onto that's his pretty face. good. That's really hard. I uh, the I, I will say though. The one, I thought they were go, they were going in that direction when they had that one woman get up and start singing. Yep. But they they cut away pretty quickly. But the thing that when that she gets sexually was, attacked by the, the that's guy. true. Yeah, she does get assaulted, which is not <laughs> ideal. But um, the way she's singing, I I started thinking people didn't sing like that in the eighteen hundreds. That was mm-hmm. she was, she had a very modern style of singing. Yeah, which, clear, which I, clear voice, which I didn't. Yeah, and, and very sort of like jazzy influenced. Yep. Yep. Which unless this is some sort of Marvin Barry Marty McFly situation I don't think is is uh not time appropriate not yeah, era it's appropriate been, been a bit anachronistic yeah yeah did you um <clears throat> any any thoughts in particular about the whole amateur night uh puzzle and how it how it fits into everything it's a it's kind of a it's kind of a you know it's a usual deadwood episode in that it doesn't have the the through line is the amateur night thing, but it's the moments around it are what build up to be the parts of the story that you just are. You feel like you're checking in on scenes with people, and I feel like all the scenes are very good, yeah. even though it it doesn't it doesn't particularly advance anything. I, I guess maybe the Merrick storyline with the guy's name is Barrett, the Hearst men, like the Pinkertons who come into town, is maybe the most advancing thing. But it, it's all really kind of secondary to everything else that's going on. Like there is the uh, politicking of buying the votes and the guns that are waiting and the Pinkertons coming in and stuff like that. But it is more about the town refusing to be uh, stomped out at this point. And it's the, you know, it's what Hearst is up against, which is what the entire season has been building to. But, you know, Hearst seems particularly angry and annoyed at this point, and he does. It, it is just to say it again. Like he does seem like the Grinch looking down at the Who's, and it, it's a feeling of he doesn't really understand and he can't connect with them 
um, as he seeks to ruin whatever they have there at the, at the moment. Yeah, this was kind of making me, this episode was making me feel like the the Who Shot Mr. Burns Simpsons episode where the first half of it is Mr. Burns just continuously doing the worst things possible to the town. Where right, like he right. puts up He puts up the big thing that blocks the sun from yeah. coming in and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, but this, this has arguably one of my favorite scenes in the entire series, and it's, it's just a quick couple seconds. But, man, Aunt Lou and Richardson hug, hugging each other and crying was like, I didn't know that was something I wanted. You're right, <laughs> but it was it, it was so good. Like it, it, the the show is just so good at giving you quick hits with these characters and just nailing it and and making you uh, like Richardson is such a sympathetic character and someone who clearly has pathos for other people. Yeah, yeah. That to to have that follow up Aunt Lou basically you know cussing out under her breath Hearst because she knows that he probably was responsible for her son's death. Yep. Um, it was just amazing. I thought it was, it was great. I yeah. don't know when they started hanging out, but I'm glad that they did. Yeah. They, they talked in the, um, in the book, the actress who plays Aunt Lou talked about, uh, I think his name is Richie Rich, Richardson or something is the actor's name. Um, man, just saying that he was, he was, they were actually good friends on sets. Uh, she said he, he, he smoked all the time and stunk like cigarettes, but he was like a very funny, <laughs> uh, funny, nice person. Um, yeah. Like I, I was that first scene when he's like salting up that meat or whatever he's yes, doing. Yeah. He's curing his ham. Yeah. I, I didn't know. I couldn't tell if they were trying to play it as though these two might be hooking up. Oh, right. <laughs> or but like I, I couldn't I couldn't figure out what the vibe was because I know like it, it's one of those things where what she's asking him I feel like could very much be double entendre yes um and the way Richardson is replying it replying to her feels that way but also Richardson's just kind of a dummy yeah so I yeah. couldn't I couldn't tell if he was just doing his Richardson dummy thing or if he's like yeah I'm gonna salt that ham yeah I'm salt I'm slapping that ham yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna bend it over this table. No, he's uh I get the the mother and uh son vibe from them. Yeah, which is that you know if she and in this one she loses Odell. Uh, so you, your understanding is that uh, Hurst had something to do with it, which I would agree with. I, I, I they leave it kind of vague. The show doesn't yeah. exactly explicitly say it, but I, I don't see any other I, reason how this could possibly have happened. Yeah, well, I I think it could go either way. Honestly, I think based on the kind of person that he is and he's been portrayed as up to this point, I think it's totally fair to assume that he actively caused it. Yeah. They've talked Um, about it in previous episodes too, as a possibility of what will happen to Odell. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other hand, I, I also can believe that it was something that just did happen coincidentally, but she can still be mad at Hearst because the only reason he was going to New York was because of Hearst, you know. Right. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's I think it goes either. I don't. I, I think regardless of who was ultimately behind his death, her um, yeah blaming anger, Hearst makes sense. Yeah, her anger towards <laughs> Hearst is is justified. Yeah, I I just think it's interesting because it's and we've seen it before where Hearst has felt bad for like when Captain Turner is killed and he seems legitimately sad about it. He seems legitimately sad about Odell's death in a way, which yeah. makes you kind of question it. He, they also show you the scene of him reading the telegram that reveals the news, and he doesn't have like a, there's no duplicity there in the reaction right. shot, yeah. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. So I I think it's I think it's it's fair to assume that her her anger towards him is just a general anger more yep. than a necessarily specific. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> One of my um. I like the. One of the things that I think is fairly neat and kind of uh, copies the entire series uh, to this point in the development of society is that uh, Hearst's uh, methodology changes quite nicely in terms of matching how society's conflict develops. So like Hearst came in and he starts it off by uh, earlier in the season by being very threatening you know, he chops off Al's finger and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He tries to go with a kind of like mobster look at things. And as the season is developing, he's actually moving more into what we would consider to be like the modern sensibility of what his money can actually do for things to get mm-hmm. stuff done. So he's he started buying votes. He's bought the Pinkertons out. And the Pinkertons are famously in real life kind of like a seen as a tool of the wealthy to uh, bust up unions that were developing at the time. So they're sort of seen as like the wealthy people's um, private militia. Uh, and then he's he's buying the votes, as I said, which it just it just feels much more like he's moved away from his initial, this is how I get things done when he shows up in the t- to the town and is now operating in a way that he is more disconnected from it. And they have that in the Jerry scene where he says, I'm not going to sign that piece of paper, like linking me to whatever is going on here. Yeah. But he can still get things done probably more effectively uh, once he starts spending a little bit of money and buying the votes that he needs and bringing in the Pinkertons and stuff like that. So I, I, I just like the, um, I like the sort of mirroring of development of society and the mirroring of how Hearst is actually going about his business in the season. Jesus Christ, whoever thought I'd come to write an article. Uh, have you a notice you wish circulated, sir? What? By article, do you mean you have some notice you'd wish published? By article? I mean a fucking article. What would be your article's subject? You're a fat fucking bastard, ain't you? I think we ought best continue our conversation, sir, when you're not under the influence of spirits. Something stupid looking about you. I must insist you leave. Fucking irritating. How you look makes me fucking embarrassed. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Dear. Yeah, I like that they don't... Excuse me. I like that they don't just play him as a singular, you know, violence guy. Um that they have him sort of evolve and, and try different tactics along the way. Um, Cause I think if it was just a season of him hacking off fingers and stabbing people, it'd probably get old pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, moved. And it doesn't, it doesn't match the, I feel like he's kind of, he's kind of matching the, he's matching the tactics of the other people that he's facing, facing off against. Right. Cause like, I feel like he, <clears throat> Excuse me. I feel like he, he he came out hard with Al with violence, assuming that that was going to do that that he would be playing on Al's level, and Al's response to that was to play on a different level, yeah, which has to cause Hearst to also adjust, yeah. Uh, you know, no, yeah, it's fair, and he's um, I guess it's because it ties into he's not he's not above violence at this point, but he's kind of personally moved away from it. He's no longer yeah. connected to it. So he sends Barrett in to 
uh, rough up Merrick. Uh, my favorite, my favorite moment in that scene is when Merrick gets pistol whipped and he goes, "Oh dear." Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Merrick gets beaten pretty badly. I, I like the, 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 it is, I, I really like that response because it, it, it does, it, it just escalates so quickly. I mean, what, <laughs> what else could you say? He's like, you are a fat son of a bitch, aren't you? He's like, sir, I think you should leave. And he just pistol whips him in the face and he says, oh dear. Um, but yeah, it's a, you know, it does the kind of drama of the era thing of prestige TV that I would consider to be like the Sopranos and the wire and stuff like that. The, the, the beating of Merrick leads to the shooting, not directly, but the Earps shoot the Pinkerton. Right. And then Mm -hmm. the Pinkerton boss comes out and sort of gets in a fight and gets a Bullock upset. So Bullock arrests the Pinkerton chief. Is he, was he known in history for his move being grabbing people by the ear? I don't know where that came from, if that's a real thing. It, it seems, no one seems to fight back against it, so I don't know if it's supposed to be just like debilitating and you're unable to do it or it's the embarrassment of getting your ear pulled. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Well, we should look that up. It's not, it's not pleasant. No, it wouldn't be pleasant, but you, you'd think someone would at least try to punch him in the gut, but I guess that's the, he does have a gun to this guy's head and saying like, provoke me, cause me to do what I want to do. Yeah, but the um, the the modern drama TV thing of it is kind of literalized when the guy gets out and he's like, "What was the upshot of all this?" And Bullock doesn't have an answer for it. There's yeah. just no <laughs> Bullock continues to not ever have a plan about something, and I think that feels very much like the drama of the era, which is that there's a um, in a lot of those shows, things happen, and a character does something without thinking it through, and it's just kind of like it's just sitting there that there was no the. the the other character that has the thing done to them knows that there's a weakness that the other character is not controlling their temper because of what they're doing. So there's sort of like this, what was the whole point of this? And I can see that and use that as a weakness against you going forward. That That's a Deadwood example. It feels nice to have that guy in jail and you punch him in the face with Charlie Utter and stuff, but he, yeah. he gets out of it and it just goes to show her control over things and uh, the impotence really of Bullock, who this is the best he can do is sort of temper tantrum and arrest him but he can't do much more beyond that yeah i did really like when when johnny comes over though and he's like you tell him don't even say anything i'm fine i have it under control i'm not going to shoot anybody i'm not going to lose my temper i have it under control go fucking tell him that (laughs) and he does dutifully heads back and tells al exactly what was going on this this uh this episode had some of my favorite like made me laugh quite a bit. Yeah. Um, Amy burst out with, laughing with the, the. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, I was, uh, when uh, <laughs> when when Wu comes up and he says like uh, uh, Swanjin Hurst hang die and he goes no no the fucking opposite of fucking hang die <laughs> he says he goes buck by low and he goes fuck buck by low and then uh, I fucking again what's her the woman who plays. Jane should have got a fucking Emmy for this because when 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 Mose goes over to find her and he goes, It's me, and she goes, Who's me? The fucking eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole thing about the elephant, I was fucking Gigan- dying. Yeah, Gigant- don't tusk me to death with your yeah, tusk. Don't tusk me with your giant tusk. <laughs> <laughs> those are those are it it's I I I really like Milch's uh writing style like i think that that scene is a really good example where jane 
like bothers him to a point, right? And he he just like shakes the shit out of her and says like he calls yeah. her like a drunken slob or something like pull it together and she does after that and she walks off but she's she's not completely changed. I think it just captures a um I don't know. There, there's something there's something true to life about the interaction with a person like Jane, which is just that it's like you know, dealing dealing with like an addict or a drunk like that is is really just kind of like a they're never fixed, really. Right. It's just kind yeah. of like trying to correct them a little bit to get them to the next spot that they need to be. And they're really only surviving based on the kindness of the strangers of the town, of this community that they built around them. Like Jane without the town is pretty much just going to be dead on the side of the road. Right, yeah. And I, I think that scene just... I just like... I like the the flip-flopping of emotion there is quick, is funny because it starts off as kind of her insulting him and then it gets very serious, but then it goes back to being funny and him sort of like... You know, it's demeaning. It doesn't really come across, but him just going like, "Oh, that Jane." You know, he's got kind of like a little smile on his face as she walks away. But it's mm-hmm. it's a nice flip flopping of emotion that I thought was pretty effective in terms of how they they wrote and performed it. Yeah, and there's that moment when he grabs her and she kind of freaks out. Yeah, you know? gets scared. Like she, yeah, she's. I think she's a really well drawn character as someone who is dealing with some pretty deep seated trauma about. Yep. Um, you know, obviously she was sexually assaulted earlier in her life. And it's like, the, I think she's she's one of the better drunk characters or alcoholic characters I've seen on a show. Because she does, she feels really authentic in that way, in the way that she can't get her shit together and is covering up for other stuff. And it's, yeah, it's, she's just a, she's a great character. She is one of the, um, <clears throat> We know that the show ends at this point, so we're kind of going in with that. She is one of the... <clears throat> I guess I... On this watch, though, I've been uh, thinking or noticing about, like, which characters could the show have actually continued to use in some ways? Because I like the Jane character, but she's really been doing this for three seasons now. And, yeah. and if the show didn't end here... I think that another season of this being Jane's thing would be pretty much unbearable. You know, hey man, not unbearable, but the Simpsons have been on for 35, 40 That's years. Bar- Barney Gumble still drunk. Well, though there was that period of about ten years where I think they cleaned him <laughs> they up cleaned him up a little bit. <laughs> well, who runs the Quickie Mart now? Ooh, great question. You don't know? Uh, I don't know. Is maybe, there a Quickie maybe Mart? They just maybe they just don't go there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Best not to talk about these things. Yeah, yeah. It's a. Uh, I, I some of the other like I, I think that the other scene that is not really like this because I feel like they haven't touched on it in a while and it's nice to, to come back to it is when um when Sai comes in and threatens Joni, yeah, in the school that because that's a repetition of what that relationship is but there's been a development at that point and. <laughs> They're all Sai is basically a mini Hearst in that one, in that like the the group who have collected outside of Sai, the group that Sai has like terrorized to form their own little community outside of mm. him. And Sai, as the series has shown, is just obsessed with being like every he wants every to control everyone and he wants to sort of be like the center of everyone's universe. And when he's not that, when he gets rejected, he gets very upset and disappointed and sort of storms off and everything like that. Oh my god. Oft confused with the most high, though our inseams got different lengths. Fuck you. Fuck you! 
can't come in here, Cy. I suppose I could if I want to. If you need us to talk, we can do it somewhere else. It ain't for you to come in here. Hey, fuck you, Johnny Stubbs. And your fucked out horse thinking what's mine to come into and ain't. Come on, girl. Come on close. Come on. What a lovely tree. Inside a building. Is that a darling fucking tree house and the precious fucking branches for the shithead little kids to play amongst and jolly joy? I, I, I guess I'm just wondering if you feel that there are any of the other characters who are done with their development and the show can't really do anything else with them or doesn't seem to want to do anything with them and whether or not the show for some of the characters feels like it's the end of the line or they're being repetitious at this point. Well, I think there's a lot of them, honestly. And I think it, it kind of felt that way at the beginning of the season, all the ones that they kind of reset a bit. Um, like Alma, I don't really know if there's much left to do with her. Right. Um, you know, I, you could, I guess you could play out more stuff with her and Ellsworth if you wanted to, but she seems to, uh, they're, She's not in the show as much as she was before. Let's put it that way. No. no. Um, yeah, I think I think Tolliver. Although interestingly, they have development with her. Her and Bullock see each other and don't have any tension when they that's true. nod to each other. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <clears throat> I think Tolliver. I think there's room to still do stuff with him, but I think I think he needs to change his tack. Is is the is the thing? Like you know, uh, I thought that that scene <clears throat> in this episode was interesting because it did feel really repetitious and really kind of reminded me of something that they would have done in season two. However, I kind of thought that that was the point. Yeah. Because Sai is sort of, he just like doesn't really have any power anymore. No, he's, he's completely impotent. Yeah. Yeah. And so what he does is he goes to the, the one person he knows he still has some, some leverage on. Or at least he thinks he still has leverage on, and, and tries to scare her, and then obviously gets brushed back by uh, by Mose and, and Jane. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, I I I, I don't know. I I think um, I think if they had continued this for a fourth season, you would need to take another take a look at some of these characters because like Jane is another one, as you were saying, and we did talk about that earlier in the season, where she had. She seemed to have come a long way by the end of season two uh, as far as possibly cleaning up goes. And then when season three rolled around, she was just back in the shit again. Yeah. Which I think is, again, I think is very realistic as to what a uh, alcoholic is like, unfortunately, especially I'm assuming one back then. Yeah. Um, but how much can you really get out of that before it starts to, I mean, <laughs> apparently a lot, because every time she's on screen, it's, I think it's great, but yep, yep. I don't know how long you can keep doing that without really giving her something more to do. And I think her and her and Joni are really, uh, a really interesting pairing Yeah, yeah. that uh, it, I think <laughs> works pretty well. So I think you could, I think you could take them both down an interesting road. Um, especially Joni, because Joni, I feel, like, I feel like this episode in particular, Joni is is the embodiment of the writer's approach to Joni, which yeah. is Joni doesn't know what the fuck she's doing anymore. Yeah, yeah. and so, and is just kind of all over the place. And 
I think that's kind of true from the writing standpoint where it's like this is a, a character who's been around since the first episode and we don't really know what to do with her anymore. Yeah, <clears throat> she's I mean, the, the the fact that she's lost is is basically her purpose, I suppose. She has that nice scene with yeah. Martha in this one where she's like, you know, Martha offers her to have a job, not a job, but to like join them in walking to the new school to taking all mm-hmm. the kids down the road. Um, and she does that, <clears throat> but she's, you know, she's her first step, I suppose, in her healing process is that she has to get rid of Psy. Like Psy can't be a thing anymore. Right, and right. she hasn't really interacted with Psy all that much, but she does keep going back to the Bella Union this season. And this is the first scene where she she certainly feels more confident in just telling him to fuck off at the end of this. And he does yeah. and he leaves. And I think that that's the the, the next step of development that, that Joni could have. Although I, I not my favorite not one of my favorite characters on the show, I don't think. I I find myself really endeared by Joni for yeah. reasons I'm not totally sure because she probably is one of the weaker, at least storyline wise, mm-hmm. one of the weaker characters. Um, but yeah, there's just something about it where I think I just want her to win. I, I want her to 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 move on and and actually break away in the way that she wants to. Yeah. Um. But you know it's 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 clearly very difficult for her to do that. I think <laughs> I really like Martha. I feel like Martha is the only sane person in the entire town. Yeah. <laughs> Amy because, says she's the best wife of all time, which I, yeah, I think I kind of agree. Because with. Because that scene where Joni comes up and she's like, "Are you going to take them down to the thing?" And she's like, "Yeah, in like an hour." Yeah. Like, okay. I mean, I could. I mean, maybe <laughs> if. Could, did you want to go early? And she's like, "No, I, I think we'll do it in about an hour. It should be." Do you want to come? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I've, it's, maybe, maybe we should listen. Why don't you come back in an hour, and we'll just walk everybody <laughs> down together? <You> know? <laughs> she's like the only real person in this town full of TV characters. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she is. She's she's very good. It's a uh, it's an understated role, but I think it's an interesting one that she's paired. Um, I, I, I like her her and Bullock's conversations are always very funny to me. Like they're they're enjoying and this one he's talking about like if if the shit hits the fan, what what needs to he's like gives her the code to the safe at the that, start. When he's when he started talking about that and he's like what does he say? Uh what is it? Half of three is a half a third of six or something like that? Yeah, it's like the three divided by two is something yeah, something like that. But he does it in like a little metaphor, if I'm remembering. Yeah, when yeah. when he says it, he's like, and she's like, what? And he's like, that's the code to the safe. My, I was like, wait, they had riddle-based safes in the 1800s? <laughs> it has like a talk, it has a... Uh, like a, a, a metal face on it that when you touch it, it comes to life and asks you a riddle and then you have to tell it the truth. You say the answer is man and it opens up. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll hold your heart in my hand for your beady little rat eyes to look at before I shove it down your fucking throat is Cy Tolliver's last line of the episode. Um, what was the, uh, what was, you were going to say Amy was laughing at something? Oh, yeah, that's right. The uh, It was kind of that scene. It's the, um, when Johnny... Uh, accurately understands what Wu is trying to say, and then Swearingen yes. just punches him in the face. <laughs> yes, that was also very good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's uh, Johnny's coming into his own, um, and uh, they, they just they had that, that little fun. The, the whole thing of Dan Doherty and him talking, he's like, he's, "Oh yeah, I'm sure them scribblings as clear as fucking rainwater to you, yeah. Johnny." <laughs> 
he who was stymied by a couple of fucking X's in a goddamn straight line. Uh, good callback to their uh, the Hearst note about the oh, assassination right, yes. attempt at the bar. Yeah, yeah and then um, uh, is there any other major storylines? Alma's clean on dope. Trixie goes back in, makes a deposit. Uh, even that, even that, you know, like putting Alma back on dope. And yeah, then it's, it's repetitive. Like, eh, she's not. She's fine now. Like, oh, great. Her, cool. her dope addiction comes across more. Unfortunately, is like more of a plot device than yes. anything. That, that seems to be the use for it because she does. Not that it's impossible to bounce back and forth, but she doesn't. There, her. Well, that's not even really fair. Like the, I, I was going to say that it doesn't really seem to make a lot of sense about when she's on dope and when she's not. Although she did go back to it when she was forced into this marriage with Ellsworth, which is fine well i think like that's a, a decent reason to do it yeah that's true well and i mean more specifically it was because she was kind of forced to take it during the abortion scene. oh yeah that's that's true too yeah sorry so it's like it's i don't know it, on the one hand i understand it because if you're in that situation if if a person who is an addict is in that situation where they start using again you they are probably going to get rehooked right so yep. like realistically that makes sense but ha- dropping it the way that they did not really getting much out of it and then dropping it so quickly does feel but i i think it's an it's a no-win situation because like the other what's the other side of that you spend time again watching alma kick dope right like, well, yeah. Well, good no good it's not shit. yeah it's, it's not that it's already been there done that i think they got a lot out of it from the scenes with Ellsworth and 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 whatnot, yes. Um, but I don't I don't think it would be worth doing like another episode where one of the plots is Alma is having the DTs or something. You yeah. Know? No. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. It's it's interesting. And <clears throat> there are some there are some characters who I think could just do another ten seasons of the show. Yeah, like Char- Charlie Utter. Could be the oh, same yeah. person and do exactly the same swearing gender. They should be the Char- same. Charlie Utter should be on every show. They uh, should have right, done just, a crossover <laughs> where Charlie Utter just shows up on like The Wire. CSI. He shows up on CSI. <laughs> shows up on Carnival. Shows up on The Sopranos. Charlie Utter on The Sopranos? Come on. Yeah. No, it's it is, it's too good. He should. He could have been the new uh, Detective Munch showing up on five <laughs> different shows as the same character. <laughs> My favorite thing here is... Uh, what he calls the Pinkerton guy over to the cell and then punches them through the bars, which I, I, I always uh, yes. appreciate just the accuracy <laughs> of the punch in the nose right there. You tell you tell me you tell me this is about how you met these kids' mother? <laughs> That's what this show is about? Well, I'd love to hear that story. <laughs> it is it is uh Dayton Kelly. Just Dayton Kelly is Charlie Utter, unfortunately. Um Let's see here. Is there anything else? So in this instance, the the shield that you speak of is a metaphor for for you know, the the hiding <laughs> behind <laughs> hiding behind the goodness of a police badge. Is that what you fucking telling me? <laughs> Taxicab confessions. I showed him my whole ass. <laughs> <laughs> yep. No. We'll we'll do. Uh, there'll be more Charlie Otter. And Charlie is, uh, or uh, Dan Kelly is. I don't think. I don't know if he is anything like Charlie Otter, but he is in the next Milt show. So we'll see if uh, if that pans out. Wow! You come here all the way from Cincinnati, huh? 
That's Jesus great, fucking Christ. <laughs> um, did I have anything else to say about this one? No, we t- uh, talked about the talked about the ARPs, talked about all that stuff. Um, you telegram. know what you guys are here working in this advertising advertising business. You're all a bunch of <laughs> mad men. <laughs> I don't know why his only role is just saying the name <laughs> of the show. Says the title and just fucks off. You know what I just realized? These zombies, we're the walking dead, <laughs> not them. Yeah. <laughs> Motherfucker bit me. <laughs> he would. I would like to see Charlie Utter in The Walking Dead. I think that's something. This shows up, saves the day, unlocks the door. Uh... To, to, to anything else from this one? Uh, oh, I, 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 sorry, I had my, my thing here. The the one character who uh, definitely hasn't changed at all, and they're running out of um, a way to do anything, is the soap guy who's still running yeah. a scam <laughs> with the, with the <laughs> it was soap. Nice to see him again. Yeah, it's always nice to see the soap guy. Apparently, uh, <laughs> apparently, all you needed to to beat tuberculosis back then was a stern talking to. I guess. Yeah, uh, Doc's around. Doc, in this Doc one. seems yeah. to be yeah. kind of, he's out there doing it, you know. Yeah, because what, he checks in, does he check in on the guy that the Pinkerton stomps on the foot? He does, yes. right? Yeah, he checks yeah. in on him and he checks in on um, uh, maybe someone else. Yeah, but his ter- tuberculosis seems to have uh, recovered kind of nicely. That, it's funny because I didn't even re- really remember that he got sick going into yeah. this one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have remembered that. Uh, that only, guy. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, if you have anything about Doc, uh, the only other character I have is the uh, the general who has a couple of scenes. Oh, in this yeah. One. Well, I was just gonna say that guy who got his foot stomped on. I feel like that guy had that coming. He was a little annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Did, didn't need to break his bones, but like, could nice. you imagine? Obviously, it's it's heightened reality, and it's the eighteen, it's the old west, so people do this shit all the time in, in these shows. But like, could you imagine like stepping in front of someone? at the line for the pharmacy at CVS, and then from behind you hear, well, apparently today I woke up no longer visible to the human eye. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Guy, I'm just trying to get my fucking pneumonia medication. Leave me alone. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's my fault. No, it's not a lot of uh, endless apologizing on Deadwood. Just a lot of foot stomping. And, um... <laughs> Langreach has a funny line where he's like, he's like he he he's like he rode in on horseback last night when when his like heavy foot is more uh, accustomed to something else. He has a funny line about just saying how, uh, oh, how he yes. stomps on the yeah. guy's foot, but he should be walking yeah. around. Um, uh, the general is the last one. He he, mm-hmm. he gives up delivery to the bank, and. Yep is taking care of Steve by wheeling him around in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> I was surprised to see that he had picked him up. I thought once he dumped him off at the bar, that was it. Yeah, no, he goes back and gets him uh, in a very Deadwood way of not particularly connecting the dots there, but I guess it's just the assumption that he's taking care of him at this point. We talked about this a little bit at the uh, the end. In the Deadwood Bible, they talk about this. A lot of the actors on the show and a lot of the people are kind of unsure of what the motivation of the general is here to take care of Steve. Yeah. Um, I assume it's just to show a, in the face of great insults, there is still like a kind of humanity that can exist. Like Steve is the, the last person you want to take care of or the last person that you think deserves sort of a second chance. But there's a, 
there's almost like a like a religious or like biblical thing of like turning the other cheek to the insults. Yeah, and that that's my interpretation of what's going on. Yeah, I think it's. I, I think it's just a, uh, <clears throat> a general being the, the the bigger man who understands that everybody's everybody's a human. You know, right. everybody yeah. deserves dignity or yada yada yada. Right. Even though this guy was a complete shithead to him. Yeah. yeah. And as we said, he has. There's. I don't think anybody would would bat an eye if the general just dumped him into a ditch. I know, just, just off a cliff. Way. Yeah, just yeah. <laughs> rolls rolls down the uh, rolls down the thing. They, I mean, because it's taking care of him is a lot of work. You get to change his underwear. Like you have to take care of him, right? They even talk about that in this episode. That if you're like, what do we do if he shits himself? Well, he's just yeah. sitting here with us. So it's a it's a long. It's a long way from Cy Tolliver dragging a guy who's only kind of, who's still alive out into the woods and just leaving him there to die. <laughs> it is, yes. It's the opposite. The general and Cy are polar opposites of each other. Yeah, that's it for Amateur Night, I guess. Did you have anything else you wanted to say about this one? Uh, no, I don't think so. I really yeah. like this one. I think it's, I'm, I'm curious to see how everything kind of ties up, or if it ties up, it might not even tie up. I don't know. How effective on the, on the scale of sweaty palms to giganto, how effective <laughs> is calling Merrick a big turtle as an insult? Does, he, <laughs> does pretty, Jeffrey Jones look like a good. turtle? <laughs> yeah, he's got kind of he's got big turtle energy. I think <laughs> I think that's fair. Uh, that's it then. Thanks everybody. This is the Something Pretty podcast. We just talked about Amateur Night, which was the ninth episode, I think, if I'm remembering correctly, of the third season of Deadwood. We only have three left: episodes ten, eleven, and twelve. And oh, we forgot about um, EB getting mad because everybody likes Richardson's juggling. Yeah, and Langriche calls him out, says, like, envy yeah. is a, a deadly sin or something like that. Yeah, um, that's all. They all boo him, which I thought was a nice touch. They boo EB yeah. for taking Richardson off the off the thing. Here's a question. Yep. Is Al singing at the end because he's drunk, or is he singing at the end because he really wants to go out there and be part of the show? He wants to be a part of the show, but he can't be because it's not yeah. his role in this uh, society that they built. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah, yeah that's what I that's what I take it as. Because Al's never Al's always had to be Al's always kind of on the balcony, looking down and smiling at the things that are going on. But he can't get too close because he's the one that's actually trying to pull the strings to enable this to continue. So he has to keep himself separate right. from everybody else. Yeah. Yep. And he sings this song and he drinks beer, I think, for the first. I've never seen him just drink beer. He usually drinks whiskey, but he's drinking beer, this one. That's it. Something pretty. Patreon.com slash the Penske file. If you want to support the show, if you can get all the other content that's up there. It's like 200 podcasts now across all kinds of genres, including Tombstone is up there. So support the show there. You know what? You know what we shouldn't do? We shouldn't do Wyatt Earp. The Kevin Costner one. The Kevin Costner one, right. It's like twice as long as Tombstone, and it is boring. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can put a, we can come up with like a final three or four and then put a poll up on Patreon and see what Westerns people would actually want to do. I, I will do more research and to see if there's anything, even if it's not well known, if there's a movie about the Deadwood era, it would be kind of interesting to do. So There's... Um I don't know where it takes place, but the only one that I can think of that is kind of similar, maybe, is uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which is uh, um, a Robert Altman movie that is, 
it takes place somewhere in the north. Like, uh, is it about gold? Is that like the the central thing? <sighs> That's a great question. You do your thing. I'll look it up. There, mu- there must be <clears throat> there must be a gold mining or a gold claim western. I would imagine. Um, Ooh, Rene Arbogenoir is in it too. Oh, is he? Nice. Fits in with our Star Trek coverage, which is the other show that we do. We do a Star Trek podcast. If people are interested in that, you can join all the Discord, join all that stuff. There's a whole bunch of things you can do to support the show. Mostly, I'm saying this because we are. Um, wrapping up this show and the something pretty podcast is going to be ending in a couple episodes when the movie uh but yeah that's about it clay did you find the movie the western i did yeah uh it's um i would say it's kind of similar in in tone maybe it's uh referred to as a uh, an anti-western because it sort of uh uh it ignores and subverts a number of western conventions yep and uh yeah it takes place in washington oh, okay uh washington state it's a, yeah it's a pretty pretty uh highly regarded uh movie i, I think it's, sure. been a, it's been a long time since i've seen it sure we'll put it on the list and see where it ends up and if that's one of the movies that we uh they co- that we cover because we have a couple things to cover before we do the movie as we as we said a couple episodes ago and maybe even more before that we'll take a little bit of a break after the season ends before going to the movie just to kind of get a sense of what it was like to wait the 15 years for the movie to come out um It'll give us a little bit of time to forget about the stories and everything, so we'll go into that more more uh, like we're actually watching it for the first time. It is the first time for you, right? You haven't seen the, the Deadwood movie? I have not seen the Deadwood movie, yeah. no. So, do you have anything you want to say before we go? <clears throat> uh, yeah, actually. <clears throat> this uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller features uh, Keith Carradine, oh, okay. Wild Bill himself. Nice. Yeah, who actually, who, did you know he played Wild Bill in something else, too, in a Wild Bill movie? He did? Yeah. Wow. 1995, Wild Bill. Just, no, wait. I'm sorry. He played... <laughs> this is strange. He was in a movie called Wild Bill about Wild Bill, but he played Buffalo Bill. Oh. So there you go. The whole the whole Bill convention going yeah. on in that movie. All right. Yeah, it's like a multiverse of Bills. He said um, he got his, his wig from somewhere. Maybe it's the same wig. That he wears Maybe. in that it's movie. Possible. Yeah, he said he kept that from another uh, thing, a production he had done for this one. Well, you know what? That movie was directed by Walter Hill, so it's very possible. Yeah. It comes from that okay. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Keep checking out Rotten Horror Picture Show. <laughs> we're doing video nasties on Patreon. Uh, we're almost done. We've only got a couple left this month. October, we're doing Last House on the Left, which is going to be a doozy. And uh, after that, we've got Zombie. Lucio Fulci Zombie and one other one. I can't remember what it is, but I'm sure it'll be something. There uh, we go. And Badass is still on a bit of a hiatus. I think we're going to come back pretty soon with um, Return of the Joker, the Batman Beyond movie, and maybe do a little Q&A or something. And uh, uh, Yeah. So that's I don't it. know what's going on. Then that's it for the Badass must be close to being done at that point unless there's another show let's continue we've got we've got one more season of batman beyond oh never mind and then after that uh you know i don't know what we're gonna do we might do the justice league cartoon or something like that or yep maybe maybe call it a day i don't know we'll see yeah we'll see check it out badass run horror picture show penske podcast and this one something pretty thanks everybody for listening we will see you next time with i have to look it up I have to know what the last three are. 
And I will say, Clay, my memory is that the last three episodes really get into wrapping up the season. Uh, so this is like kind of the <clears throat> like the pace reset episode. After this, it kind of it gets into more of like a climbing uh, climax or like a rising oh. action or something. Did you say pace reset? I didn't, couldn't think of a word. Like it's like a, I wanted to say aperitif. No, that's fine. That's fine. But I I, I heard pastry set and I was like, <laughs> I don't know what that is, but it sounds delicious. <laughs> sounds like incredibly delicious. No, it's like uh, we're just kind of it's a series of cupcakes and <laughs> scones and a nice box. It's beautiful silverware. The next episode is called A Constant Throb. So thanks very much for listening, everybody. We will see you next week. I was walking down by St. James Hospital. I was walking down by there one day. Who should I spy but one of my comrades who wrapped up in flannel or green was the day. I asked him what ailed him. I asked him what failed him. I asked him the cause of all his complaint. It was all on account of some handsome young woman. Tis the reason why I weep and lament. If she had but told me before she disordered me, if she had but told me of it in time, I might have got pills and salts of white mercury, but now I'm cut down in the height of my prime. Get six young soldiers to carry my coffin and six young girls to sing me a song. And let each of them bear a bunch of green laurel so they don't have to smell me as they bear me along. So don't muffle your drums and play your fives merrily. And play a quick march as you carry me along. And blaze your bright muskets all over my coffin saying there goes an unfortunate lad to his home.